0: 13. Mentoras in the five following geographic areas surrounding the Pueblo. Geographic area number of cementoras number of cargoes produced Magkeng 615 Kogchog 35 Fellas 18 Toyab 15 Sam U to 10 total 1343 These cementoras produce the low average of 313 cargoes. The average value of Mangilat cementoras, then, is 3313 pesos which is thought to be a conservative estimate of the value of the Bantok cementer. Ilog is rated among the lesser rich men. He is relatively, as the American says, well-to-do. However, when a man possesses 20 cementeras, he is considered rich. The richest man in Bontoc, with 100 cementeras, has in them, say, 3.330 pesos worth of real property in addition to his 6.340 pesos of personal property. It is claimed that each household owns its dwelling and at least two cementeras and one granary. Though a man with no more property than this is a poor man and someone in his family must work much of the time for wages. Because two average cementers will not furnish all the rice needed by a family for food. A dwelling house is valued at about 60 pesos. Which is less than it usually costs to build. And a granary is valued at about 10 or 15 pesos. It is constructed with great care. Is valueless and less rodent proof. And costs much more than it's about valuation. Title to all buildings. Building lands in the Pueblo, and irrigated rice lands is recognized for at least two generations, though unoccupied during that time. They say the right to such an occupied property would be recognized perpetually if there were heirs. At least it is true that there are now acres of unused lands, once polycementers, which have not been cultivated for two generations because water cannot be run to them, and the property right of the grandsons of the men who last cultivated them is recognized. However, if one leaves vacant any unirrigated agricultural mountain lands used for millet, maize, or beans another person may claim and plant them in one year's time, and no one disputes his title. Real property of group all real property accumulated by a man and woman in marriage is their joint property as long as both live and remain in union. No form of real property, except forests, can be the joint property of other individuals than man and wife. Forests are most commonly the property of a considerable group of people the descendants of a single ancestral owner. The lands as well as the trees are owned, and the sale of trees carries no right to the land on which they grow. It is impossible even to estimate the value of anyone's forest property, but it is true that persons are recognized as rich or poor in forests. Public property public lands and forests extend in an irregular strip around most pueblos. There is no public forest, or even public lands between Bontoc and Samoki, but Bontoc has access to the forests lying beyond her sister Pueblo. Neither is there public forest, or any forest, between Bontoc and Tukukan and Bontoc and Tidupon. Though there are public lands, in all other directions from Bontoc public forests surround the outlying private forests. They are usually from three to six hours distant, from them any man gathers what he pleases. But until the American came to Bontoc the Igoros seldom went that far for wood or lumber, as it was unsafe. Now, however, the individual will doubtless claim these lands, unless hindered by the government. In this manner real property was first accumulated a man claimed public lands and forests which he cared for and dared to appropriate and use. There have been few irrigated cementers built on new water supplies into generations by people of Bontoc Pueblo. The year of public lands for Bontoc has practically passed, there is no more undiscovered water. However, three new cementers were built this year on an island in the river near the Pueblo, and are now made, 1903 full of splendid poly, but they cannot be considered permanent property, as an excessively rainy season will make them unfit for cultivation, sale of property Personal property commonly passes by transfer for value received from one party to another, Such a thing as transfer of real property from one negro to another for legal currency is unknown, the transfer is by barter. The transfer of personal property was considered in the preceding section on commerce. Real property is seldom transferred for value received except at the death of the owner or a member of the family, at such times it is common, and occurs from the necessity of quantities of food for the burial feasts and the urgent need of blankets and other clothing for the interment. Again. Come lands about the dwellings are disposed of to those who may want to build a dwelling. Dwellings are also disposed of if the original occupant is to vacate and some other person desires to possess the buildings. Death may destroy one's personal property, such as hogs and carabas, but almost never does an Negro lose his property. If it is real, only a protracted family sickness or a series of deaths requiring the killing of great numbers of chickens, hogs, and carabas, and the purchase of many things necessary for interment can lose to a person real property of any considerable value. There is no formality to a sale of property, nor are witnesses employed. It is common knowledge within the auto when a sale is on, and the old men shortly know of and talk about the transaction thenceforth it is on record and will stand, rent, loan, and lease of property until recent years, long after the Spaniards came. It was customary to loan money and other forms of personal property without interest or other charge. This generous custom still prevails among most of the people. But some rich men now charge an interest on money loan for one or more years. Actual cases show the rate to be about 6 or 7 percent. The custom of loaning for interest was gained from contact with the Idro who received it from the Ilocano. It is claimed that dwellings and granaries are never rented irrigated rice lands are commonly leased. Such method of cultivation is resorted to by the rich who have more cementers than they can superintend. The lessee receives one half of the poly harvested, and his share is delivered to him. The lessor furnishes all seed, fertilizers, and labor. He delivers the lessee's share of the harvest and retains the other half himself, together with the entire commote crop which is invariably grown immediately after the poly harvest. Uniragated mountain commode lands are rented outright, the rent is usually paid in pigs. A cementer that produces a yield of 10 cargos of commodes, valued at about 6 pesos, is worth a 2 peso pig as annual rental. In larger cementer as a proportional rental is charged a rental of about 33.13%. All rents are paid after the crops are harvested inheritance and bequest as regards property the statement that all men are born equal is as false in negro land as in the united states the economic status of the present generation and the preceding one was practically determined for each man before he was born it is fair to make the statement that the rich of the present generation had rich grandparents and the poor had poor grandparents although it is true that a large property is now and then lost sight of in its division among numerous children Children before their marriage receive little permanent property during the lives of their parents, and they retain none which they may accumulate themselves. A mother sometimes gives her daughter the hairdress of white and agate beads, called a punk. also she may give a mature daughter her peculiar and rare girdle, called a kosan. Either a parent may give a child a gold earring, I know of but one such case. This custom of not allowing an unmarried child to possess permanent property is so rigid that, I am told, An unmarried son or daughter seldom receives carabattas or cementeras until the death of the parents, no matter how old the child may be. At the time of marriage parents give their children considerable property, if they have it, giving even one half the cementeras they possess. If parents are no longer able to cultivate their lands when their children marry, they usually give them all they have, and their wants are faithfully met by the children. The conditions presented above are practically the only ones in which the property owner controls the disposition of his possessions which pass in gift to kin. The laws of inheritance and bequest are as firmly fixed as are the customs of giving and not giving during life, since all the property of a husband and wife is individual, except that accumulated by the joint efforts of the two during union, the property of each is divided on death. The survivor of a matrimonial union receives no share of the individual property of the deceased if there are kin. It goes first to the children or grandchildren. If there are none and a parent survives, it goes to the parent. If there are neither children, grandchildren, nor parents it goes to brothers and sisters or their children. If there are none of these relatives the property goes to the uncles and aunts or cousins. This seems to be the extent of the kinship recognized by the idro. If there are no relatives, the property passes to the survivor of the union. If there is no survivor, the property passes to that friend who takes up the responsibilities of the funeral and accompanying ceremonies. The law of inheritance, then, is as follows: first, lineal descendants, second, ascendance, third, lateral descendants, fourth, surviving spouse, fifth, self-appointed executor who was a personal friend of the deceased, primogeniture is recognized. And the oldest living child, whether male or female, inherits slightly more than any of the others. For instance, if there were three or four or five cementers per child, the eldest would receive one more than the others. This law of primogeniture holds at all times. But if there are three boys and one girl, the girl is given about the same advantage over the others. It is said, as though she were the eldest. If there are three girls and only one boy, no consideration is taken of sex. When there are only two children the eldest receives the largest or best cementera, But he must also take the smallest or poorest one. It is said that division of the property of the deceased occurs during the days of the funeral ceremonies. This was done on the third day of the ceremonies at the funeral of Old Samkov, Mentioned in the section on death and burial, the laws are rigid. And all that is necessary to be done is for the lawful inheritors to decide which particular property becomes the possession of each. This is neither so difficult nor so conducive of friction as might seem, since the property is very undiversified. Tribute, tax, and rake-off there is no true systematic tribute, tax, or rake-off among the Banta nor am I aware that such occurs at all commonly sporadically. However, tribute, tax, and rake-off are all found in pure Malayan culture in the archipelago, as among the Moros of the Southern Islands. Tribute may be paid more or less regularly by one group of people to a stronger, or to one in a position to harass and annoy for the protection of the stronger, or in acknowledgement of submission, or to avoid harassment or annoyance. Nothing of the sort exists in Bontoc. The nearest approach to it is the exchange of property, as carabattos or hogs, between two pueblos at the time a peace is made between them at which time the one suing for peace makes by far the larger payment, the other payment being mere form this transaction, as it occurs in Bontoc, is a recognition of submission and of inferiority, and island as well, a guarantee of a certain amount of protection. However, such payments are not made at all regularly and do not stand as true tributes, though in time they might grow to be such. Nothing in the nature of a tax for the purpose of supporting a government exists in Bontoc. The nearest approach to it is in a practice which grew up in Spanish time but is of Idra origin. When today cargetters are required by Americans, as when government supplies must be brought in, the members of each car auto furnish him food for the journey. Though the cargetter personally receives and keeps the wage for the trip, the furnishing of food seems to spring from the feeling that the man who goes on the journey is the public servant of those who remain, he is doing an unpleasant duty for his auto fellows. If this were carried one step further, if the rice were erased and paid for carrying on some regular function of the Ideral it would be a true tax, it may be true, and probably island in pure society that if men were sent by an auto on some mission for that auto they would receive support while gone, this would readily develop into a true tax if those public duties were to be performed continually, or even frequently with regularity, rake off, or, as it is known in the Orient, squeeze, is so common that everyone Malay, Chino, Japanese, European, and American expects his money to be squeezed if it passes through another's hands or another is instrumental in making a bargain for him. In much of the Igero territory surrounding the Bontoc area rake-off occurs it follows the advent of the headman. It is one of the direct causes why, in Negro society, the headman is almost always a rich man. During the hunting stage of human development no rich man can come up, as is illustrated by the primitive hunter folk of North America. As soon, however, as there are productions which may be traded in there is a chance for one man to take advantage of his fellows and accumulate a part of their productions this opportunity occurs among primitive agricultural people. The Bontoc area, however, has no headman, no rich man, and, consequently, no rake-off. Part 5 Political life and control It is impossible to put one's hand on any one man or any one group of men in Bontoc Pueblo of whom it may be said. Here is the control element of the Pueblo. Nowhere has the Malayan attained national organization. He is known in the Philippines as a provincial. But in most districts he is not even that. The Bantanquigaral has not even a clan organization. To say nothing of a tribal organization, I fail to find a trace of matriarchy or patriarchy, or any mark of a kinship group which traces relationship farther than first cousins. The Spaniard created a president and a vice president for the various pueblos he sought to control. But these men, as often Ilocano as Igro, were the avid of Spanish approach to the natives, they were almost never the natives' mouthpiece. The influence of such officials was not at all of the nature to create or foster the feeling of political unity. Aside from these two Pueblo officers, the government and control of the Pueblo is purely aboriginal. Each auto, of which, as has been noted, there are 17, has its group of old men called Intukti This Intukti is not an organization except that it is intended to be perpetual, and, in a measure, self-perpetuating, it is a thoroughly democratic group of men, since it is composed of all the old men in the auto, no matter how wise or foolish, rich or poor no matter what the man's social standing may be, again, it is democratic the simplest democracy in that is has no elective organization, no headman, no superiors or inferiors whose status in the integrity is determined by the members of the group, The feature of self-perpetuation displays itself in that it decides when the various men of the auto become amamá, old men, and therefore members of the Ugon. A person is told some day to come and counsel with the Intugtiugan, and thenceforth he is a member of the group. In all matters with which the Intugtiugan deals it is supreme in its auto, but in the auto only, hence the opening statement of the chapter that no man or group of men holds the control of the pueblo. The life of the several auto has been so similar for such a number of generations that, in matters of general interest, the thoughts of one in Tugti Yugon will be practically those of all others. For instance, there are eight ceremonial occasions on which the entire Pueblo rests from agricultural laborers, simply because each auto observes the same ceremonials on identical days. In one of these ceremonials, all the men of the entire Pueblo have a rock contest with all the men of Samoki. Again. When a person of the Pueblo has been killed by another Pueblo treacherously or in ambush, or in any way except by fair fight, the Pueblo as a unit hastens to avenge the death on the Pueblo of the slayer. In such matters as these matters of common defense and defense, matters of religion wherein food supply is concerned custom has long since crystallized into an act of democratic unity what may once have been the result of the councils of all the intactiugan of the Pueblo. It is customary for an auto to rest from agricultural labor on the funeral day of any adult man, but the entire pueblo thus seeks to honor at his death a man who was old and influential. There is little differentiation of the functions of the Intagtiugan. It hears, reviews, and judges the individual disagreements of the members of the auto and makes laws by determining custom. It also executes its judgments or sees that they are executed. It makes treaties of peace sends and accepts or rejects challenges of war for its auto, in case of inter disagreements of individuals the two intactiugon meet and counsel together, representing the interests of the persons of their auto, in other words, the pueblo is a federation made up of 17 geographical and political units, in each of which the members recognize that their sanest, ripest wisdom dwells with the men who have had the longest experience in life and the group of old men sometimes only one man and sometimes a dozen is known as Intugtiugan, and its wisdom is respected to the degree that it is regularly sought and is accepted as final judgment, being seldom ignored or dishonored. In matters of a common interest the Pueblo customarily acts as a unit, probably could it not so act, factions would result causing separation from the federation. This state of things is hinted as one of the causes why the ancestors of present Simoki separated from the Pueblo of Bontoc. The fact that they did separate is common knowledge, and a cause frequently assigned is lack of space to develop. However, there may have been disagreement, crimes, detection and punishment theft, lying to shield oneself in some criminal act, assault and battery, adultery, and murder are the chief crimes against vigorous society. There are tests to determine which of several suspects is guilty of a crime. One of these is the rice-chewing test. The old men of the auto-interested assemble, in whose presence each suspect is made to chew a mouthful of raw rice, which, when it is thoroughly masticated, is ejected onto a dish. Each mouthful is examined, and the person whose rice is the driest is considered guilty. It is believed that the guilty one will be most nervous during the trial, thus checking a normal flow of saliva. Another is a hot water test. An egg is placed in an all of boiling water, and each suspect is obliged to pick it out with his hand. When the guilty man draws out the egg the hot water leaps up and burns the forearm. There is an egg test said to be the surest one of all. A battle axe blade is held at an angle of about 60 degrees, and an egg is placed at the top in a position to slide down. Just before the egg is freed from the hand the question is asked is all the name of the man under trial guilty? If the egg slides down the blade to the bottom the man named is innocent but if it sticks on the axe he is guilty. There is also a blood test employed in Bantac Pueblo, and also to the west, extending, it is said, into a Lepinto province. An instrument consisting of a sharp spike of iron projecting about 1 of an inch from a handle with broad shoulders is placed against the scalp of the suspects and the handle struck a sharp blow. The projecting shoulder is supposed to prevent the spike from entering the scalp of one farther than that of another. The person who bleeds most is considered guilty he is hot-headed. I was once present at an Igorot trial when the question to be decided was whether a certain man or a certain woman had lied. The old man examined and cross-questioned both parties for fully a quarter of an hour, at which time they announced that the woman was the liar. Then they brought a test to bear evidence in binding their decision. They killed a chicken and cut it open. The gall was found to be almost entirely exposed on the liver. Clearly the woman had lied. She looked at the all-knowing gall and nodded her acceptance of the verdict. If the gall had been hidden by the upper lobe of the liver, the verdict would not have been sustained. If a person steals poly, the injured party may take a cementer from the offender. If a man is found stealing pine wood from the forest lands of another. He forfeits not only all the wood he has cut but also his working axe. The penalty for the above two crimes is common knowledge. And if the crime is proved there is no longer need for the old men to make a decision the offended party takes the customary retributive action against the offender. Cases of assault and battery frequently occur. The chief causes are lovers' jealousies. Theft of irrigating water during a period of drought and dissatisfaction between the heirs of a property at or shortly following the time of inheritance. It is customary for the old men of the interested auto to consider all except common offenses unless the parties settle their differences without appeal. A fine of chickens, pigs, cementers, sometimes even of carabatos, is the usual penalty for assault and battery. Adultery is not a common crime. I was unable to learn that the punishment for adultery was ever the subject for a council of the old men. It seems rather that the punishment death of the offenders is always administered naturally, being prompted by shocked and turbulent emotions rather than by a counsel of the wise men. In Negro society the spouse of either criminal may take the lives of both the guilty if they are apprehended in the crime. Today the group consciousness of the penalty for adultery is so firmly fixed that adulterers are slain, not necessarily on the spur of the moment of a suspected crime but sometimes after carefully laid plans for detection. A case in question occurred in Swak of Lepanto province, a man knew that his faithless wife went habitually at dusk with another man to a secluded spot under a fallen tree, one evening the husband preceded them, and lay down with his spear on the tree trunk, when the guilty people arrived he killed them both in their crime, thrusting his spear through them and pinning them to the earth. Among a primitive people whose warfare consists much in ambushing and murdering a lone person it is not always possible to predict whether the taking of human life will be considered a criminal act or an act of legitimate warfare. It is considered warfare by the group of the murdered person, and as such to be met by return warfare unless the group of the murderer is a friendly one and at once comes to the offended people to sue for continued peace. This applies to political groups within a pueblo as well as to the people of distinct pueblos. When murder is considered simply as a crime, its punishment may be one of two classes. First, the murderer may lose his life at the hands of his own group. Second, the crime may be compounded for the equivalent of the guilty man's property. In this case the settlement is between the guilty person and the political group of the victim, and the value of the compound is consumed by feastings of the group. No part of the price is paid the family of the deceased as a compensation for the loss of his labor and other assistance. The three following specific cases of misdemeanors will illustrate somewhat more fully the nature of differences which arise between individuals in pure agro society, in Samoki early in November, 1902. body pawned an iron pot of sugar boiler to Yajau for four pesos. In about two months, when sugar season was on, body went to redeem his property, but Yajau would neither receive the money nor give up the boiler. The old men of the auto council together over the matter and, as a result, Yajau received the four pesos and returned the pot, and the matter was thus amicably settled between the two. Early in January, 1903, Morgas, of the Pueblo of Ganong, cut and destroyed the grasshopper basket of Dinod of the Pueblo of it, and also slightly cut Dinod with his axe, but did not attempt to kill him. The cause of the assault was this, Moigas had killed a chicken and was having a ceremonial in his house at the time Dadug passed with his basket of grasshoppers. According to Idara custom he should not have taken grasshoppers past a house in which such a ceremony was being performed. The breach made it necessary to hold another ceremony, killing another chicken. Old men from Mayanet, the pueblo of Dadug, came to Ganong and told Moigas he would have to pay three pesos for his conduct, or Mayanet would come over and destroy the town. He paid the money, whereas the basket was worth only one-sixth the price. Trouble was thus averted, and the individuals reconciled. In this case the two pueblos are friends, but Mayan is much stronger than Ganong, and evidently took advantage of the fact. In January, 1903, a woman and her son, of Titipong, stole commotes of another Titipong family. The old men of the Tuato of the interested families find the thieves a hog. The fine was paid. And the hog eaten by the old men of the Tuato. Very often the fine paid by the offender passes promptly down the throats of the jury. However, it is the only compensation for their services in keeping the peace of the pueblo. So they look upon it as their rightful share. It is the lawyer's share with a vengeance. Part 6 War and Headhunting and Fallout Met is the Bantak word for war. But the expression Namake okay, Take Heads is used interchangeably with it. For unknown generations these people have been fierce headhunters. Nine tenths of the men in the pueblos of Bantak and Samoki wear on the breast the indelible tattoo emblem, which proclaims them takers of human heads. The folly of each auto in Bantak has its basket containing skulls of human heads taken by members of the auto. There are several different classes of headhunters among primitive Malayan peoples but the continuation of the entire practice is believed to be due to the so-called debt of life that island each group of people losing a head is in duty and honor bound to cancel the score by securing a head from the offenders. In this way the score is never ended or cancelled, since one or the other group is always in debt. It seems not improbable that the heads may have been cut off first as the best way of making sure that a fallen enemy was certainly slain. The head was at all events the best proof to a man's tribesmen of the discharge of the debt of life it was the trophy of success in defeating the foe, whatever the cause of taking the head may have been with the first people, it would surely spread to others of a similar culture who warred with a head-taking tribe, as they would wish to appear as cruel, fierce, and courageous as the enemy. Henry Lingroth quotes Sir Spencer Street John as follows concerning the seribus Dyaks of Borneo page 142, a certain influential man denied that head-hunting is a religious ceremony among them, It is merely to show their bravery and manliness that it may be said that so and so has obtained heads. When they quarrel, it is a constant phrase How many heads did your father or grandfather get? If less than his own number, well, then, you have no occasion to be proud. Thus, the possession of heads gives them great considerations as warriors and men of wealth, the skulls being prized as the most valuable of goods. Again, he quotes St. John, page 143, feasts in general or to make their rice grow well, to cause the forest to abound with wild animals, to enable their dogs and snares to be successful in securing game, to have the streams swarm with fish, to give health and activity to the people themselves, and to ensure fertility to their women. All these blessings the possessing and feasting of a fresh head are supposed to be the most efficient means of securing. He quotes Axel. Dalrymple as follows page 141 the URUAs believe that the persons whose heads they take will become their slaves in the next world. On the same page he quotes others to the same point regarding other tribes of Borneo. Roth states page 163, from all accounts there can be little doubt that one of the chief incentives to getting heads is the desire to please the women. It may not always have been so and there may be and probably is the natural bloodthirstiness of the animal in man to account for a great deal of the head-taking. He quotes Mrs. FF F. F. MacDoodle in her statement of a Asalkaran legend of the origin of head-taking to the effect that the daughter of their great ancestor residing near the evening star refused to marry until her betrothed brought her a present word of her acceptance. First the young man killed a deer which the girl turned from with disdain, then he killed and brought her one of the great monkeys of the forest but it did not please her. Then, in a fit of despair, the lover went abroad and killed the first man he met, and, throwing his victim's head at the maiden's feet, he exclaimed at the cruelty she had made him guilty of, but, to his surprise, she smiled and said that now he had discovered the only gift worthy of herself. Page 163. In the three following pages of his book the author quotes three or four other writers who cite in detail instances wherein heads were taken simply to advance the slayer's interests with women, as showing the passion for head-hunting among these people, St. John tells of a young man who, starting alone to get a head from a neighboring tribe, took the head of an old woman of their own tribe, not very distantly related to the young fellow himself. When the fact was discovered he was only fined by the chief of the tribe and the head taken from him and buried page 161. Again page 159, the maxim of the Ruffians Cairns is that out of their own country all are fair game. Were we to meet our father, we would slay him. The head of a child or of a woman is as highly prized as that of a man. Mr. Roth writes that Mr. F. Whitty found that the latter limberon would not count as against themselves heads obtained on head hunting excursions but only those of people who had been making peaceful visits, etc., in